stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. All right, look, folks, we've seen this story, unfortunately, too many times in Canada. A young man, maybe a convert to Islam, maybe grown up a Muslim, uh, but starts to go down a dark path. Uh, starts to uh, be exposed to uh, ISIS or Al-Qaeda or other extremist propaganda. Starts to buy into this notion that, uh, you know, the West is at war with Islam, that they need to take up the cause uh, for the, jih- uh, the jihadi movement. And, and they start to, to get brainwashed into this, this way of thinking. Uh, an early intervention can go a long way. And it's possible that you can pull people back from that brink and try to understand how they go down that path in the first place, prevent others from going down that path. But that's before any kind of damage is done. Once crimes have been committed, we got a big problem on our hands. Right? And we've seen it recently. There was a man in Quebec, I believe, the first convicted of attempting to go to Syria to join the Islamic State. He hadn't actually managed to make it there. But he was about to get in an airplane, he was arrested, and he was charged. So it's not just about de-radicalizing that guy, it's now a matter for the criminal justice system. But what about those who have already been there? If you were caught throwing gays off a building in this country, we wouldn't be talking about rehabilitating you. We'd be talking about locking you up for the rest of your life. So if there are individuals who have gone to the so-called caliphate, the crumbling caliphate of the Islamic State who have engaged in these sorts of things, who have cut off hands or executed apostates or thrown gays off of roofs, what do we do with them? Now, I suppose there's one way to deal with them, as other countries like the UK and the US are doing, seeking them out on the battlefield and ensuring that they don't ever return home, Uh, that they die right there on the battlefield. That's one way to do it. There is some concern being raised, of course, that some of these ISIS fighters may have returned to Canada. How many? We're not exactly sure. This came up uh, in question period. Here's Conservative leader Andrew Scheer asking the Prime Minister about it. Mr. Speaker, ISIS terrorists are criminals who fought against our country, but they are now being welcomed back to Canada by the Prime Minister with the promise of reintegration services to help them. Now, Canadians are shocked and alarmed that their government is not taking any steps to protect them. This is the number one job of any government. So will the Prime Minister stand today and tell us exactly how many ISIS fighters have returned to Canada and how many of those are currently in jail or under government surveillance? Right Honourable Prime Minister. One of the top priorities of any government uh, is to ensure the safety and security of Canadians, and we ensure that every day. Our national security agencies are combating the phenomenon of Canadians participating in terrorist activities overseas. We use a number of tools to address the threat posed by these individuals, including the Passenger Protect Program, cancelling, revoking or refusing passports, and laying criminal charges. Our national security agencies are carefully monitoring these individuals and our law enforcement agencies do the difficult work of collecting evidence required for convictions in Canadian courts. Well, look, it is difficult work tracking these individuals and, if warranted, building a case against them. Now, if we're talking about things that happened in an Islamic State-controlled territory, that's problematic. But uh, it's a real dilemma. Joining us uh, for some thoughts, uh, really eager to get uh, this guy's insights, uh, Mubin Sheikh uh, joins us on the line, uh, former, formerly with uh, CSIS and the RCMP as an undercover operative. He uh, works as a counterterrorism expert. He is co-author of the book Undercover Jihadi. Mubin Sheikh, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me. 
How many are we talking about, do you think? I mean, uh, the, the minister, the public safety minister suggested maybe it's as much as 60. Do we know for sure? Yeah, no, uh, you know, it's the politicking that's going on. And, uh, you know, I don't want to make a comment on either side, but there is a threat uh, that we face. Uh, numbers that have been thrown out have included as high as 180 had, that have gone in total from Canada in all conflicts. Okay, it's not just Iraq and Syria. Uh, when asked in question period, the, the minister responded by saying the number of returnees in general, although the question was asked specifically about ISIS, the number he's been told is 60 uh, in, total, in total out of everyone. In the reality, uh, you're looking at maximum 10 people, uh, several of whom, 10, 10 people, several of whom who have already been charged. Uh, they're, you know, the newspaper articles, uh, you know, these stories come out every, you know, little while. Uh, but there are at least, I think, four or, you know, five I can think of offhand. You know, we talked about, so so 10 in total, uh, several have been charged. There's probably maybe two, max three, um, that are back that have not been charged. Uh, I happen to be working with one of them. So um, it's a very low number uh, that we're dealing with. We don't have the problem that Europe has. Uh, our context is, is very, very different. If I can just point out, you know, you mentioned in your intro about, you know, those who tried to go versus those who did go. Mm -hmm. And this this is an issue about evidence, right? How do we collect this evidence? You know, if these people were doing these things and they were posing, you know, we've been trawling social media, watching for these guys revealing their identities. If they don't reveal their identities, we don't know who did what. Uh, and the, the thing is, the only way to get that kind of evidence really for court prosecution is to have an undercover in ISIS which other countries do, make, have no doubt of that. Um, I'm not going to comment on if Canada is doing any of that, but uh, would we be okay with somebody that went undercover with ISIS and possibly participated in this stuff to, to get the evidence to prosecute these guys? So that, that's the, the dilemma we have. We can't you know, prosecute them in court properly, so what do we do? And then this is where the whole you know, counseling, rehabilitation, or even tactical assessments done by thesis and the RCMP and locking them for a predetermined period of time uh, where we can, you know, hopefully, that's the thing, you know, see how far we get with kicking it down the road. Okay, Mubi, what can you tell us about the individual in question that you've been in, in contact with? Yeah, this was a guy who went, uh, he's 18 years old, <clears throat> went in early 2014, uh, this is before the declaration of the caliphate, which is mid-2014, on or about the same time, the sexual assault of women, uh, rape as a tool of war, uh, before all of that. Uh, so my, my mitigating factors are he wasn't on the front line, and he was effectively doing a, a, a you know, version of a police ride-along. Didn't know Arabic, so obviously wouldn't be in any position to give authority, even to local people. So I, I rate him low on that on that risk factor, right? As opposed to guys who've been there for a long time, you know, are combat ready and and know what they're doing, and will try to come back in saying, "Oh yes, I'm de-radicalized." You know, there are ways to to test for deception in these sorts of tactical assessments. I'm not going to mention them, of course, but okay. um, yeah. 
Well, but I mean, that's a big question because I, I, I can understand how maybe somebody gets it in their head uh, that, that this is the Islamic paradise and they go over there and it's hell on earth and they don't want any more to do with it. Uh, that person is not as much of a threat then, obviously, as someone who remains committed to the cause. And with the caliphate or the caliphate, as you call it, crumbling, uh, they want to take the fight to the West in, in different ways. So, um, you know, it's such yeah. an important question. Oh, absolutely. In fact, very timely. Um, they're just uh, in Germany, <clears throat> six Syrians arrested for planning terrorist attacks. Uh, what I predict, and this I will take as the first data point on my prediction, is ISIS will, will reconstitute itself into small cells, uh, guys who they know, guys with experience, and will conduct either multiple site attacks or one big attack. And certainly just yesterday, uh, six were arrested in Germany. I mean, Germany saw, you know, thousands and thousands of people overwhelming, you know, their, their thing. And this is what, you know, the upheavals in Syria, Iraq, this is what it's caused, right? So we're dealing with the consequences of that. But anyways, in Germany, you know, they wanted to hit the uh, Christmas market in Essen, uh, right? And, I mean, I've been to Germany. I've been to the Christian, uh, Christmas markets. You know, that's like their culture, right? Like, so attacks on, on these sorts of targets, have a significant impact on the psyche of people. I mean, you've been there yourself, right? So you understand this side of it. You understand how someone can kind of fall into this mindset uh, and, and be dragged down a, a dark path. I mean, th does it run through your head, Mubin, that, that, you know, had you been a little bit younger, had you gone through this phase uh, at the time of, of ISIS and the time of this so-called caliphate, did you ever wonder whether you might have ended up there? Oh, of course. I mean, I came very close to the line. Um, I mean, I had protective factors in my life, I would say, and this is the whole in the discourse on radicalization, youth, troubled youth, from all different backgrounds, whether you're talking about white supremacist radicalization, you're talking about First Nation kids and gangs, that kind of, of powerlessness, the sense of meaning, belonging, identity, yeah. uh, it's all active. And, and so for me, I had mitigating factors. I mean, both my parents are here. I have a relatively good relationship with them. You know, I had a relatively good education, so I had access to these sorts of things. I wasn't bullied or picked on, so it was harder for me to think of killing people, right? And I did, actually. I mean, I'll be honest. I was a young kid. I was stupid. I was in this mentality where I would think if a bomb went off, you know, at, at some public place, you know, would, would that be something good? Would I be okay with it? And I was totally a sympathizer at that time. Uh, you know, but uh, I, I realize that, like, you know, it's a it's a dark, dark place. It's like this is completely against God and humanity. And so, you know, I, I now spend the rest of my life fighting it. Well, and it's important to point out because I, I think there's a, a fear that once someone's gone down that path that there, there's no coming back. Um, but but in some cases point. there is. There is a point where they are at the at the point of no return. When I was in my very young ages, and if you think about young people, their brains are still developing, critical thinking skills, you know, impulse control. You know, they're 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 not um, they they <clears throat> they will um, be convinced of their position. They are right. You know, teenagers, they are right. And and really, at that time, you there's nothing you can do for them, right? And so this is why back to, you know, what's, what other countries are doing in, in Iraq and Syria is killing them. Uh, you do have to kill as many of them as possible. I'll be very open about that. I mean, that's not controversial or arguable. That's what's been happening for the past, you know, three, four years uh, that I've been at least following uh, all of this. So 
kill them, first and foremost. Uh, number two is submit to other countries' laws and leave them to those governments. So, hey, you're a Canadian guy. You committed this crime in Iraq and Syria. The government of Iraq and Syria says, okay, well, you, we're going to take you. You committed the crime in our country, and we're going to execute you. Now, Canada is going to say, well, we're not into capital punishment, executions, dot, dot, dot. The person is a Canadian citizen. There are obligations upon them. We've seen what happens when we leave Canadians, right? There's, there's legal recourse. So we, you know, we, we have to be very careful about how we do this. And in terms of that number, and, and I certainly hope it's on the low end of things, do we need to, I mean, should our goal be to keep that number as low as possible? Should we, should our policies be designed around revoking passports and, and keeping some of these ISIS fighters from returning at all costs? Yeah, look, our context is very different, and we're doing a fantastic job, okay, as Canadians. I mean, in total, 5,000 uh, in total from Western countries uh, is where all these ISIS fighters come from, like Muslims from Western countries, 5,000 in total, including Europe. North America, surprisingly low. I mean, the most of the, the prosecutions in the U.S. are people who are, who are trying to go to join ISIS. Right. And in the U.S., their thing is, you know, throw them in a hole and throw away the hole. Right. This is like 20 year sentences, 30 year sentences and, and no, you know, credit for time served. It's like straight imprisonment. But then you're kicking it down the road. Right. 30 years later, these guys are going to come out. Are they radicalizing people in prisons? So uh, very complex. And yes, we are doing a fantastic job. I know there's the whole, you know, Muslim thing seems to be a controversial issue. But, you know, Muslims feel very loyal to the country. We need to reinforce those ideas. You know, we, you know, because they're not marginalized and isolated, you know, they, they have a meaning and belonging. Things are, ha- you know, yeah. they're very low numbers. But, I mean, we're not going to stop all of them, but we have to try. That's some great points, some great insight, Mubi and Sheikh. Thank you so much for joining us here today. I really appreciate this. Thanks for letting me ramble. Cheers. All right, take care. Uh, that's Mubi and Sheikh, counterterrorism expert, uh, co-author, undercover jihadi, someone who was there himself and has devoted himself to a very different cause, and that's fighting back against this extremist ideology. He's done so in a lot of ways, including as an undercover operative, breaking up the Toronto 18 plot. 974-8255. So here's a pretty simple question. What do we do about these guys? I hope Mubin's right. If the number's as low as 10, uh, all things considered, that's not too bad. And the fact that uh, the authorities know who these people are, know where they are, are keeping tabs on them, that's encouraging too. We've got others out there, surely, that have that Canadian passport in a back pocket ready to pull out when they need it. When things get bad, uh, they've got that plan B. How do we ensure that they don't use it? One way is to kill them on the battlefield. Another way is to leave them where they are. The Kurds got you. The Iraqi government got you. Well, sorry about your luck. All the best. We revoke those passports. We don't want them back here. Uh, I think that's, uh, we can all agree on that. We don't need them here. Uh, If somehow they manage to get their way back into Canada, well, I guess we got to deal with it then, don't we? 974-8255. Back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.